Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Luke, the 17th chapter. Luke chapter 17. We're going to be working out of this text all morning long. We'll work in a couple of other passages along the way, but we'll keep coming back to Luke 17. That's going to be our base of operations as we work today in the Scriptures. Let's get those Bible pages turning. As you're turning to Luke chapter 17, I will say how great it is uh, to just be with you this morning and to have the opportunity once more to stand before you on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, and to talk to you about things from the Word of God, things that are of just supreme importance because these are the very things that just matter the very most in life, the things of God, the things of a spiritual nature, the matters of the soul. And I want to get right to it right now. In Luke the 17th chapter, read with me if you will, beginning in verse 11, we get this account. Only Luke's gospel records this account. In Luke 17, in the life of Jesus, we're told that in verse 11, that on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You know, Jesus asks a lot of great questions in the Bible, doesn't he? Jesus asks questions that are penetrating and questions that have lived on even a couple of thousand years later. Questions like, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or questions like, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? There's even lots of personal questions that Jesus has to individuals but still resonate with us today. Questions like, why did you doubt? Or do you love me? And I've got to tell you, as great as all of those questions are, there may not be anywhere else in the New Testament where Jesus asks more pointed and more penetrating questions than the questions about gratitude that He asks here in Luke 17. Jesus asks, where are the nine? Were not ten cleansed? How come only a Samaritan turned back to show his gratitude and the rest didn't. You know, we've reached that time on the calendar where a lot of people are thinking about gratitude and about Thanksgiving. The Thanksgiving holiday is this Thursday here in the United States. And these nine guys here in Luke the 17th chapter really stand for all time as the consummate example of what it means to fail miserably in giving thanks. And usually it is around this time of the year when the preacher is going to get up behind the pulpit and he is going to say some things about gratitude, about the biblical concept of thanksgiving and how we need to cultivate that attitude and that heart of gratitude in our lives. And that's all well and good and I've preached those kinds of lessons before. 
But this morning, I really don't want to talk about gratitude in a, in a broad and general kind of way. And furthermore, I don't want to ask you this morning and push you about whether or not you're grateful for, for your physical blessings. Are you grateful for your job? Are you grateful for the rain? Are you grateful for your freedoms here in America? Are you grateful for your health? Are you grateful for your family? All of those things are important. And we ought to be thankful for all of those things. Make sure that we return thanks to God for those blessings. But what I really want to press you and I about this morning is is are we thankful for the spiritual blessings that come through Christ Jesus? Just how grateful are we for the redemption and the salvation and everything that flows from being in Christ? Because I'm going to tell you, whatever you want to say about leprosy, Whatever horrors there are that are associated with being a leper, the deprivations of that kind of living, the dreadfulness of dying in that condition, let's just be honest. You and I have been healed of something far, far worse. We were sinners. We were lost. We were destined to spend an eternity without God in eternal punishment. You and I then, as Christians, we have come to the great physician. And we have had our souls healed of something far more serious than any earthly disease like leprosy or cancer or even COVID-19. We have been healed of sin. We have been forgiven. And of course, we tell God thank you for that from time to time. Whenever we go to God in prayer, we surely mention something about that in our prayers, don't we? Certainly when we assemble together as God's people and the brother gets up and leads us in those prayers, something's going to be said in there about thank you, Lord, for your son. Thank you for the hope of eternal life that we have through Christ Jesus. And we sing about that. We've got songs that have that as kind of the primary emphasis. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And that's good. We ought to pray about that and we ought to sing about that. But you know what? Just beyond filling in the blanks of our prayers every now and then, and beyond the occasional hymn that gets sung that sings about salvation, I'm pressing you and I this morning to ask us just how conscious are we of the wonderful blessings that come, God's love and God's grace as expressed to us, through the blessings we have in Jesus Christ. Does that thought flood our soul on a regular, consistent, even daily kind of basis? Do we really stop and think about and have thanksgiving in our hearts for the blessings that are found in Christ? You know, if we're going to condemn those nine guys who were slow to give thanks for a physical healing... How much more would you and I stand condemned if we fail to be truly grateful for an eternal healing, the work of Jesus in healing and forgiving us of our sins? As I look at this passage here in Luke chapter 17, it seems to me that there are at least three things that oftentimes get in the way of us being thankful for those blessings. Three just big hindrances, as we're going to see in this story of Luke, the 17th chapter, three things that stand in the way of us having a genuine heart of gratitude. Three reasons as to why we are not more thankful 
for the salvation that we have in Christ. And I've got to tell you, the more that I contemplate these three points, the more I'm going to confess to you that too much of the time, I find myself standing with the nine. That I am not as considerate as I ought to be. I am not as thoughtful, I am not as appreciative, I am not as grateful for the blessings that I have in Christ Jesus. And this morning I want to talk about why that is, and I want to talk about the remedies for that kind of thing. That all begins first and foremost by just acknowledging that one of the really big reasons that we are not more thankful for our spiritual blessings in Christ is because because we just take them for granted. We do. Did you notice in Luke 17, as Luke is telling about this encounter, did you notice the punchline? The punchline is really right there in verse 16. When Luke says that the man who returned, he fell at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. Notice it. Now he was a Samaritan. Well, why does Luke go out of his way to tell us that? Well, because that clues us in as to who those other nine guys were. Those other nine guys were Jews. And who were the Jews? Well, the Jews were the people of God. They were the people whose story, their long and storied history is recorded for us in the pages of the Old Testament. They are the people who God had redeemed out of slavery in Egypt. They are the people who walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. They are the people who were brought to that amazing land of promise by the mighty hand and power of God. That's who they were. The Jews were God's chosen and special people. And all throughout the years, for centuries of time, God took very, very good care of them. He showered them with special blessings time and time and time again, which makes me wonder if maybe those nine Jews who were healed of leprosy in Luke 17, if maybe when they began to look down at their hands and to see that, whoa, those spots that once were there, they're now gone, I'm now cleansed, I wonder if what they said was, well, well, God's blessed me again. Yep, God's done what He's always done. I mean, that's always what God does for us. We are His special people. And you know what? It makes me wonder if you and I as Christians, as God's people today, if we could ever do the same. You know, this first point is a very hard point for me to have to make. Because I grew up, so to speak, in the Lord's church. I had godly parents, godly grandparents, people who had an influence on me and taught me God's Word. I have been surrounded for essentially my entire life by God's people, which means that I didn't have to to fight and push through denominational error. I didn't have to slog through years of worldliness and worldly living before finally discovering the truth of the gospel. Nope. Nope, for me, this this is just kind of where I've always been. And this is pretty much what I've always known. Is it possible then if you, like me, if you were kind of raised in the church, so to speak, that it was just kind of expected that you would be baptized? I mean, come on. You knew that you were going to be forgiven. Everybody knew that you were eventually going to become a Christian. It was just a matter of time. I mean, after all, being in the family of God, well, well, it's more or less a birthright for those of us who grew up in this. And, And so sure, yeah, 
Of course we have spiritual blessings. Have those spiritual blessings been, been recipients of those spiritual blessings ever since day one? Of course we've got those blessings. Come on, I've basically always had them. If anybody is beginning to think that that sounds an awful lot like the Jews who told Jesus in John 8 verse 39, Our father is Abraham, well then you're exactly on the right track. Those Jews in New Testament times oftentimes had an arrogance about them and they had a sense of entitlement all of which warred against having gratitude. And my question is, is are we like them. In fact, even if you were not raised in the church, even if you've not been around this your whole life, it is still very easy for us to take our spiritual blessings for granted. You know, I've never met anybody who was arrogant or entitled when they were standing in the baptistry. No, when they're there, when you're being baptized, when you're about to be brought into the family of God, man, there's joy and there's excitement and there is a genuine appreciation. But you know what? It doesn't take long before the new gets knocked off. And maybe what began in the beginning, those first few weeks, those first few months, maybe even those first few years, there's an attitude of profound gratitude and genuine appreciation for what Christ had done. Very quickly it gets forgotten and we... Yeah, we, we just get used to it. You know, maybe what we need here is we just need a big reminder of what we have in Christ Jesus. Would you step out of Luke for a moment? Look with me in Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, we have this really long introductory paragraph to the church of Ephesus here. And if your Bible is like mine, this little section beginning in verse 3 and running all the way down through verse 14, it's actually got a little header above it, and the header says, Spiritual Blessings in Christ. And this is one of those great places where the Apostle Paul just begins to catalog and enumerate many of the blessings that we enjoy in Christ. Would you just read those with me? Let's just refresh ourselves. In Ephesians 1, read with me beginning in verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption, adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Would you just look at all of that? 
We were chosen. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been redeemed, forgiven. We have been granted an inheritance, salvation, all of those things. The Bible says, Paul says, the riches of His grace, they have been lavished upon us. We are drenched in the blessings that come through Christ. These are the very things that give us our identity and make us who and what we are. But you know what? If we don't ever stop, and if we don't ever reflect on those blessings, if we don't ever consider the enormous value of these things, then can we really say that we are people of thanksgiving? We just need to think about these things more. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 isn't even intended to be an exhaustive list. We could add to that list all kinds of other things. We could add to that list the blessing of of joy. We have joy in Christ that we do not have outside of Christ. We have a peace that the world does not know. We do have hope in Christ. We have a purpose and a direction for our lives. The Christian life provides that as no other life provides. In fact, maybe even the key here to not taking those blessings in Christ for granted is for us to just stop and imagine what life would be like without those blessings. Have you ever stopped and thought about that before? What kind of a big hole would it leave in our lives if we did not have the abundant blessings that we enjoy in Christ? What if, what if we didn't have the Bible? Have you thought about that? Where would we be if we did not have the Word of God? How would we know the Lord? How would we know how to please Him? How would we be sure that what we are doing for Him is not in vain? Or think about it as well. What if we didn't have the church? What if we did not have the fellowship of other believers? What if we did not have a spiritual family? People that we could lean upon, like-minded individuals that we could share the journey of life with. People that we can find encouragement from and help from. What if we didn't have the opportunity to come together with other disciples to worship God and to study His Word together? And where would we be if, where would we, be if we couldn't pray? What if God didn't listen to our prayers? What if God didn't care what was going on in our lives and was just indifferent toward us? Think of how different our lives would be if we weren't saved. Where would we find hope? How would we be able to cope with adversity or troubles or the temptations of life? What if we couldn't wear the name Christian? I'm afraid that we just don't think about that enough. And as a result, we're not as grateful as we ought to be. You know, there were ten men who encountered Jesus back in Luke 17. And ten men walked away healed. And the majority of those guys said, Yep. And they kept on walking. They did not turn back. And all too often, I am afraid that I am doing exactly what they did. I'm not being grateful for the very most important things in life. I have taken those blessings for granted. I need to do better than that. And the Bible helps us to do better than that. Somebody maybe would say right about now, well, Josh, maybe we shouldn't be so rough on those nine guys. Because maybe the reason those nine guys didn't turn around 
is because they were really busy doing what the Lord had told them to do. They were just busy being obedient. In fact, that is seemingly a, a, maybe a decent defense on behalf of these guys. I mean, how can we criticize them? They're just doing what Jesus commanded them to do. Have you noticed that? As you turn back to Luke chapter 17, look at verse 14 again. Jesus instructed them. He said, go and show yourselves to the priest. That, of course accorded exactly with what the law of Moses had taught. You read in Leviticus chapter 13, if you had leprosy, you were supposed to go and show yourself to the priest. And so, come on, I mean, how can we really say that these guys fouled it up? They were obeying Jesus. They were obeying the law of Moses. They were doing what God wanted them to do. They couldn't stop because Jesus said go, right? Well, have you ever gotten so busy doing stuff that you just didn't really have time to stop and, and to be thankful. Have you ever been to a, a little kid's birthday party before? Go to one of these little kid's birthday parties and here's a kid and it's time to start opening up the presents and the kid opens up maybe the first present and man, he opens it up and wow, it's this really great toy. And he takes that toy and he goes over here maybe to the kid who, who brought it for him, which really his mom and dad's the one who brought it, but it, the kid is who it said it was from. And so he's over there showing it to this kid and wow, they're looking at this toy and he's just, man, he's just so appreciative. Look at this great toy. Oh, man, man, this is such a cool toy. And after about, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute of that, mom and dad finally kind of realize, whoa, we, we've only got Chuck E. Cheese for like another 30 minutes or so. Uh, hey, son, uh, we need to hurry this up. You can say your thank yous later. We need to get a move on here. We got stuff we need to do. Say all your thank yous. Save all of that for a later time. You know what? I think sometimes that's how we are in our lives. With all that's going on and as busy as we are, who's got the time to pause and pray and meditate and be thankful for the blessings that we have in Christ? We're just so busy. In fact, what we're oftentimes busy doing is exactly what God told us to do. We're busy with good things. We're busy being good moms and good dads, trying to raise our children right. We're busy being good husbands and good wives and trying to have marriages and doing things that will make our marriages last and go the distance. We're busy going to church services, involving ourselves in the worship of God, in the study of His Word, going to Bible class. We're busy living our lives, maybe earning a living. Hey, that's part of what God commanded us to do, to work and to provide for our families. We're busy just setting a good example and trying to be moral people in the midst of an immoral world. We're just doing all kinds of stuff all of the time, and as a result, we're really, really obedient we're not always very thankful. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that being obedient without having gratitude toward God, that is a very dangerous kind of thing. Would you hold your place in Luke again and look with me in Revelation, please? In Revelation chapter 2, in these great letters that were sent to the churches of Asia, notice what is said to the church at Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, read with him beginning in verse 2, Jesus as he writes to these saints, he says to them, I know your works, and I know your toil, and I know your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. 
And I know that you are enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my namesake and that you have not grown weary. My oh my. This is a busy church. These are a bunch of Christians who are banging it out. They are doing all kinds of stuff for the Lord. They're doing exactly what the Lord wanted His people to do. But look at verse 4. Jesus says, But I have this against you. I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Would you please notice that the church at Ephesus, they were not told that they needed to do more or that they needed to get busier. No, the church at Ephesus was told that they needed to develop and to go back so that they could have the right attitude of heart. They needed to make some changes on the inside instead of doing a whole lot more stuff on the outside. They needed to fill up all the activities that they were so earnestly involved in. They needed to fill that up with love and gratitude for the Lord. And where does love for the Lord come from? You know where it comes from. 1 John 4 verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. That's talking about gratitude. We are returning something back to God because of what He has done for us. That's talking about how the power of gratitude fills up everything that we do with the right heart. What the Lord wants from us, indeed what the Lord deserves from us, is that we fuel all of the obedience that we are doing on the outside with a heart of love and thanksgiving on the inside. And if we're not doing that, then all of that outside stuff, all the stuff we're busy doing, at the end of the day, it's just going to be empty. It's going to be in vain. It's going to be meaningless. And we need to think about that. We need to think about that very seriously. This is not a small matter at all. In fact, I need to be so bold as to say this morning that if the activities that we are involved in spiritually if they are not motivated and fired out of a gratitude for God, then actually we're not going to be able to sustain those outward acts of obedience for very long. Because those who are just mindlessly going through all of the motions of worship and service and obedience unto God, almost like a robot and there's no meaning and there's no heart behind that, oftentimes are the very people who give up and they flame out. They are the ones who eventually reach a point where they say, it doesn't mean anything to me. This is pointless. And you know what? It doesn't mean anything to them. They're right. Without genuine gratitude, all of that obedience, all of that doing, it was nothing more than meaningless and vain activity. It is no different than the worship that the Pharisees offered unto the Lord. That it was done with just exact precision, right down to the nth degree, dot all the I's, cross all the T's, but Jesus said about them that their worship was in vain because their heart was far from Him. When we consume ourselves with doing and doing and doing all the time, what happens is, is we miss out on the opportunity to be not only obedient but grateful at the same time. This is not an either-or proposition. The Lord needs both of those things. And I want to be very clear here, lest somebody get the wrong idea. Our obedience is of supreme importance. It is. I don't want anybody to leave with the impression that they have been given a license to disobey. 
That I don't have to obey God's commands. I mean, you know, just as long as every now and then I come and tip my cap in His direction and I say, thank you, Lord, and, uh, you know, show a little bit of gratitude toward Him. No, that's not so. We must do what the Lord says. In fact, this evening I'll talk about that even more. Uh, Our obedience is paramount and of that there can be no discussion. But I am going to say to you that if we are just mindlessly obeying God, without thanksgiving, filling our hearts, then we are missing everything. And ultimately what will happen is our heartless disobedience, it will destroy us. The challenge for us is to fill all that we are doing for the Lord with gratitude and to make sure that we understand the point of what we are doing. That I'm being a good parent because that's what honors God. That's what glorifies the Father in heaven. Or I'm going to work and I'm putting in a hard day's work for a fair day's wage. Why? Because I'm working for the Lord. I'm doing that to please Him. I'm saying no to sin and immorality and worldliness. Why? Because that's what honors God. I come to worship. I bow before the throne and bring my worship unto God. Why? Because I love Him and I want to give Him the praise that He is due. Gratitude, thanksgiving. That's what needs to be flowing through. It's the lifeblood of everything that we do in Jesus' name. I want to be obedient. Make no mistake about that. But I want to be obedient from the right heart. And gratitude gets us to that place. Which brings me finally, as you turn back to Luke the 17th chapter, to this last idea that what was it that kept those guys from noticing the blessings that they had and being thankful for them and the very kinds of things that cause us to miss those blessings as well is that, well, well, I'll tell you why these guys didn't turn around. It's because they wanted to get back to their lives. They did. They just wanted to go back home, Josh. These guys had some stuff, some personal interest that they needed to pursue and they wanted to pursue. And you know what? I think there's probably something to that. You stop and try to think about what it would be like to be a leper. And you know, maybe in the the era of COVID-19, maybe it's not as hard for us to think about being a leper because we've seen, had to see some of this in our world today. Being a leper would mean that you would have to give up your family and your home and your job for however long it was that you were unclean. It would have been awfully difficult to be a leper in Bible times. This is before the time when there was a cure for that, when there was medicine or treatments for that. It was an awful way to live. Just imagine what it would be like. Imagine imagine coming home from working out in the field all day. And as you're washing your hands and as you're getting ready for dinner, you happen to look down at your hands and you notice... There's a big red spot on there that that wasn't there before. And after a couple of days, you notice that that's that's not getting better. It's actually actually getting worse. In fact, you notice not only is it on that hand, but it's on this hand over here. And now you're noticing similar kinds of spots on your arms. As the days wear on, you start to notice more of those spots appearing on your chest, maybe here on the back side of your neck, maybe even across your forehead and on your face. Eventually you go to your wife and you say, Honey, what what is this? And your wife says, You have to go show yourself to the priest. You have to. 
I'm afraid, I'm afraid that this is what we think it is. You need to show yourself to the priest. So you go to the priest. And when you show yourself to the priest, the priest is aghast. He's covering his mouth and he's saying, Unclean! Unclean! Away! Leper, away! And you are then forced to go and live outside of the regular community, quarantined. You are not able to go to the temple and to worship. You are not allowed to go home and to be around your family. You are not allowed to go to the workplace and to be in the community. You have to now go and live on the outskirts of town as a vagabond, as a castaway. You can't be near anybody else who is in good health without having them shout out, Unclean! Unclean! That man is unclean! In fact, the only comrades that you have while being a leper is other lepers. That's how deadly this was. When you have the stench of death upon you, nobody wants to be near you. You are destined to one day die a horrible and painful and miserable death. But then imagine that in an instant, Jesus changes all of that. Imagine if in just the snap of a finger, you are healed. You are made 100% clean and whole. Every spot that was on you is now gone. Your flesh is back to its normal state. You are healed. Let me ask you, what is the very first thing on your mind? What's the very first thing you're going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going home. I'm going home to see my wife. I'm going home to see my kids. I haven't seen them. I haven't got to kiss them. I haven't got to hug them. I want to see how the farm is doing. I want to be able to go to the temple again to be able to worship with the other worshipers. I want to be able to get back to my normal routine. I can't wait to start living once again. I've been dying for these past few days, these past few weeks. It's time for me to get back to normal life once again. Can I ask you, do you think Christians could ever act that way? After being cleansed of our terrible disease of sin? That somehow we think that we would possess our own lives so that once we have received the blessing of the healing, well now we can now go back to doing the things that we want to do. The things that interest me. The things that I desire. And well, God will will certainly get what's left of me. We have a tendency sometimes in our Christian walk to to compartmentalize our lives. We have these various buckets of our life and this is my work bucket and this is the family bucket and there's all these different buckets and then of course this right here, this is the church bucket, this is the Christianity bucket and I'm going to give God of course the the properly allocated amount of time and energy to that. I'm going to put a couple of hours in there on Sunday, maybe give an hour on Wednesday night and maybe a few other sprinkles of minutes along the way but once I've done that and fulfilled that obligation, well I'm now going to get back to doing what I want want to do. Instead of us looking at Christianity as a whole way of life, we tend to view it almost as a checklist that I can check that off so that I can then go back to living my life as I want to live it. But would you look with me in Galatians 2? In Galatians 2, you just notice this in the writings of Paul, probably about more than anybody else. Because as Paul talks about life, Paul viewed the Christian life as a total life 
commitment. In Galatians 2 and in verse 20, Paul would write there, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life, not the Sunday, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul says that our ideas of life, how we think about life, what we think life is all about, is no more. Our personal interests, our personal desires really are of little consequence now. In fact, Paul would write in later passages, like in 1 Corinthians 6, that we have been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. We are now servants. Or maybe to even use a stronger term, we are slaves. We are slaves of the Master Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed to do His will, not our will. You know, the fact that the Lord does still allow us so much freedom to choose how to live our life to His glory, that should not cause us to be confused or to think that we can choose for ourselves and do what we want to do. No, and certainly as well, it does not mean that we can just abandon basic thankfulness at the very core of who and what we are all about. Instead, as servants of Jesus, we must constantly be thinking of Him. In everything that we do, wherever we go, whatever activity we are involved in, we need to be asking the question, what does Jesus want me to do here? When we do that, that's showing thankfulness to the Lord. That's an acknowledgement that He is the ruler of my life. I need to be asking, how would the Lord act here? What would the Lord say in this situation? He gave His life for me. So what can I do in these situations that would bring honor and praise to Him? And yet far too often... We become like those nine men who got all caught up in their own interests and forgot to say even a simple thank you. And we who have been healed of something far greater than leprosy, we all too often act just like them. We want the gift, but we don't always want to live for the giver. We want the healing... But we don't always want to act in a way that brings honor and glory to the healer. We want redemption, but we don't always want to do what the Redeemer says to do. We want to be saved, but we don't always want to be saved in order to serve the Savior. Where are the nine, Jesus asked. I'll tell you where they are. They're all caught up in themselves and they're not thankful to the One who had blessed them so much. You and I must fight, and this is a challenge for us. Gratitude does not always come naturally. You and I must resist that urge to be like them, and instead we must be diligent to humble ourselves like the Samaritan did. We must give Jesus the preeminent position in our lives, so that our gratitude for Him and our gratitude to His blessings so that they do not ever run dry. In fact, as you turn back to Luke, the 17th chapter, would you notice maybe the best thing of all about this story and about this Samaritan who was grateful? In Luke 17, look back at the very end of the story. Because we're told there, after Jesus asked those questions, 
Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus then said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Has anyone ever noticed that the Samaritan, he actually got the greatest blessing of all? Certainly all ten of those men were healed of their disease. But unlike the other nine, this one man, he got the personal blessing of Jesus. He got to have an up-close interaction. He got to talk with Jesus one-on-one, face-to-face. And he's the only one who got that. And what was it that made the difference? It was gratitude. You see, without the attitude of gratitude for the Savior and for the abundant blessings that we have in Him, we end up missing out on so much. We end up, like the other nine, at a distance. And we're shouting to the Lord, Lord, help me! Instead of actually being where we could be. And that is bowed down, prostrated at the feet of the Savior, worshiping Him. May God help us to develop the heart and the mindset of the Samaritan so that we are thankful for the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this morning so thankful to you for everything that you do for us. Father, there are so many things to be thankful for, but today we are especially directing the focus of our thanksgiving to you for the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. Father, we are unworthy of even one, any of the blessings that you have lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. Father, we are asking you to help us to be more mindful Help us, Father, to see and to open up our eyes to recognize just how rich we really are in Christ. Father, we come to you asking for forgiveness for those times when we have taken those blessings for granted. We're asking for forgiveness for those moments when we have been caught up in ourselves and our own interests. Help us, Lord, to fill up our hearts with gratitude so that our obedience and the service that we render to you would come up before you as a sweet-smelling sacrifice and aroma. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his glorious resurrection and his reign as the Lord of lords and the King of all kings. And it is in his holy name that we offer this prayer of thanksgiving and amen.